Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. You know, standing for what you believe in sometimes leaves you standing alone. And there are a lot of people who just won't stand for what they believe in. They'd much rather stand in the corner with their head down and hope no one calls them a nasty name. But is that really the best way to lead life? And, you know, I've certainly been there. And uh, had people attacking me and calling me race trader and all kinds of horrible things. But, you know, what I've found is when you put your trust in God, you really don't uh, have to worry so much about those people. You just have to one person you have to please, and it makes life so much easier. Well, everyone, welcome to Common Sense. And I'm here today with a very special guest, Jonathan Isaac. Those of you who are NBA basketball fans already know who he is. But for those of you who may not know too much about basketball, he's a professional basketball player uh, with the Orlando Magic. He was their first-round NBA draft pick in 2017, sixth overall. He's a Christian conservative. Get this, an ordained minister. He's only 25 years old. And uh, has preached at uh, Jump Ministries Global Church in Orlando. At the height of the George Floyd riots, when virtually every team had Black Lives Matter printed across their, their courts, on their jerseys, on their shirts, on their suits, Jonathan was the sole player to stand up for his beliefs. And he stood during the national anthem when everybody else disrespected it. And he would do other things in life. For instance, he made a personal decision to decline the coronavirus vaccine. Now, I believe he was or had already had the disease, but we'll talk about that uh, momentarily. But he's also, get this, a best-selling author. His book, Why I Stand is an intensely personal account of his journey to actually finding Christ in his life and how his life was transformed from 
a life of insecurity and fear to one of confidence and purpose. So welcome, Jonathan. We're absolutely delighted to have you. And would would like you to start by just discuss a little bit about your decision to stand for the national anthem in uh, on July the 31st, uh, 2020, in a game against the uh, Brooklyn Nets, and not to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Yeah, well, thank thank you so much for having me. I I appreciate the intro and and you're you're too kind. Um, but uh, on on that day, and and I talk about it a lot in the book, is that so many events in my life had led up to not standing or not kneeling in the bubble. Um, me finding Christ, like you said, the journey of uh, becoming a young man and and finding my purpose and my identity in Christ and and not allowing fear and anxiety that had plagued me so much as in my youth and in my young adulthood um, to get the best of me in this moment as well. But uh, I would say the crux of it was that I just didn't agree. Although I believe that Black Lives Matter, I didn't see the Black Lives Matter movement and organization as something that I could bear witness with with my Christian sentiments. Um, I didn't agree with their tone, with their rhetoric. Um, and again, although I believe the phrase, I, I just dug a little deeper and said, you know what, this isn't something that I want to align myself with. Um, and the more that I decided to go down that road, the more and more apparent to me that it was bigger than just Black Lives Mattering. This was a political move. It was a, a social move that was bigger than um, the saying. And so I decided not to. And I just said, you know, and I, I detail all through the book about the conversations that I had with my pastor and my fiance at the time, my fiance at the time, and even, you know, conversations with the team. We had a conversation early, uh, I think the, the day before I decided not to stand with the, the team and the presidents brought everybody together. And they said, you know, you guys make the decision for yourself. So they all leave the room and it's just the players now. And everybody's like, we don't have a choice here. You know, everybody's going to kneel. It is what it is. A team had already kneeled before us. And they were like, we don't have a choice. And one of my teammates turned towards me and said, well, Jonathan, what are you going to do? And I said, fellas, I'm not kneeling and I'm not putting that T-shirt on. And, you know, chaos erupted and everybody had, you know, to say what they had to say. But it, it came down to I respect the decisions that you guys made in kneeling. And I asked for that same respect in return. I, I see the problem that you see, um, but I just have a different solution. And I see it as that every person has fallen short of the glory of God. And if any of us are going to point fingers, we're pointing fingers from a glass house and throwing stones from a glass house. That is quite a perspective for a young man to have and uh, an incredible amount of courage. Well, what was your what was your impression of the George Floyd incident? In terms of the police officer and just the incident itself? Yes. Well, I, I think my, my very direct, you know, momentary of watching it, I was I was upset, you know, angry like everybody else that this was a terrible um, tragedy and, and, and uh, you know, just a terrible thing for an officer to do. And so I wasn't necessarily of the camp of people dissecting, you know, what was George Floyd on and what was the the, the officer's knee in, in, in the right place or all that stuff. I just said, you know what, this looks like a situation that is bad on the police officer and, and I'm okay with saying that. And so I, I did feel that I was wrong for Derek Chauvin to have his knee on, you know, you know De uh, George Floyd for that long. And that's kind of what I wrote with. Yeah, it was uh, really quite interesting because it was played 24-7. Right. Incessantly. Um, and we have some friends in Australia, and we talked to them, and they said, what's happening in America? The police are killing all the black men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you would think that just, you know, from the way that it was emphasized. And it was interesting because a, a bunch of surveys were taken asking people, uh, 
how many times unarmed black men are killed by police. And the numbers were astonishing that people came up with in the hundreds, sometimes a thousand or more. But uh, that conservative bastion of thought, the Washington Post actually said it is less than two dozen mm. in a year's time with more than 55 million police civilian encounters. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite unusual. But whenever it occurs, it's just played up to a point where you would think it was a common occurrence. Now, any death is a tragedy. Right. And uh, one of the things that, that I talk about a lot is maybe with all the technology we have these days, uh, there are some other things that the police can use. There's something called bolo wrap. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's, it's a gun. Uh, you shoot it, and out comes these Kevlar twines, and they wrap you up like a spider web oh, wow. almost instantly. <laughs> so, you know, in the case of, of the young man in uh, Atlanta who was uh, sleeping and got out of the car and ended up running away from the police, and they shot him and killed him, mm -hmm. with a bolo wrap, there's no reason that he would have had to die. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would be nice if we spent a little more time talking about what are some of the things we can do to prevent these incidents. Those riots that occurred after that point in time destroyed the livelihood of a lot of people who worked all their lives to create these. How is destroying their livelihood in any way bringing justice to the situation? And I think sometimes people really don't, don't think about that. But... Um, did you, did you know at the time that you stood that it would cause so much controversy? Oh, absolutely. One, 110%. I had, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter and, and just kind of, I'm kind of socially aware. So I, I could see everybody who had said anything, you know, against the Black Lives Matter movement or everything that was going on, you know, people were getting canceled, just, just a lot of craziness was going on. So I actually detail in the book that the night before I stood, I was on the phone with my pastor and I was telling him, like, I don't think you understand how crazy this is going to be. Like, I'm going to be a coon. I'm going to be an Uncle Tom. I hadn't signed my NBA contract yet. That was still, you know, up for negotiation, negotiation the upcoming summer. Oh, wow. He said to me, you cannot stand for God and God not stand for you. And that's when I was like, look, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're going for it. But I, I knew full well that this was going to be something that was going to cause a lot of backlash. Um, you know, people weren't going to be willing to hear me out. There would there would be a there would be a section of people who praised what I did, um, you know, for their own reasons. And there would be a group of people who, you know, hated what I did for their own reasons. Well, what was it like in the locker room that after after the game? You know, after the game was fine, I had went straight to do, uh, you know, my interview uh, that uh, the you know viral interview about, you know, me saying why I did what I did. It was the next day we had practice and uh, we were coming back from practice. We were on the bus headed back to the hotel and I got a text message to my phone and it said players meeting only, you know, when we get back to the hotel. And so we get back to the hotel and one of my teammates bumped me like, hey, you know, this is about you just giving you a heads up. So we get to the players only meeting and, uh, you know, you know, there were guys on our team that were extremely impassioned about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and they had every right to be. They 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 kind of were full into it. They went to the, uh, you know the the, all the showings and the uh, you know the protests and everything. They went to it all. And so uh, you know certain guys were highly upset about you know me doing what I did. And they 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 let me have it in terms of like you know me 
you know, hijacking the movement and making it about me. Um, but the sentiment for me was the same. Like, look, guys, I, I see the same thing that you see. I, I see what happened to George Floyd. I just have a different solution than you. Um, to me, an organization, a president, uh, a, a political aisle does not change the hearts of men. And that's what truly has to change. Um, and, I, and that's why I referenced the gospel being the thing that can truly change the heart of a man. And so that was my solution. And, and we kind of left it at that. But what about uh, what about your family and your fiance? What how did they respond? Uh, fiance is right or die. She's my wife now. Um, she's pre she's actually pregnant right now. We're having a little girl coming up here soon. Oh, congratulations! Um, but no, it was it was she was she she stuck with me, and uh, you know I had a phone call with her the same the same night before I stood, and she said she's standing with me, and so I have a great church family, a great family, you know, first of all, um, that were all supportive, and you know, were sticking with me, and. Um, that is so so important to have that uh, foundation, and um, throughout all the controversies that I've ever had in, in life, my wife has always been right there, right by my side, probably advocating whatever it is more than I do. <laughs> right, but to that point is because she knows you, right? So somebody who hears your point of view is only going off of your point of view, and they can attach any nefarious, you know, ideal to why you did what you did, but somebody who knows you and your intentions and why you're going about the way, going about things the way you are, can see it from really the true perspective. Exactly. Now, uh, was your standing for the anthem, not only your standing a manifestation of your love for America, but uh, an affirmation that Jesus Christ is the answer for the problems that we face. Yeah, absolutely. So twofold. Um, I, I, I'm not, you know, abashed to say like I, I, I love America. I love being able to play the game that I love in the place that I play it. Um, and I think about America quite often. Like my, my pastor talks about us as humans, and he says we haven't done everything right, but we haven't done everything wrong either. And that's what I think about America. You talked about. I, I was listening to something where you were talking about you know, how it was for you growing up and the great strides that we've seen, um, you know, been able to be made, you know, by, you know, our people in America, CEOs and presidents and, and, and owners of companies and, 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 and so many different things that was, you know, could have never been a possibility in the time that you were growing up. And so, uh, you know, I, I know America's history and it's not a great one, but at the same time, you know, you have to give it to America for making the strides that it has um, that's on white and black people alike. And so, uh, yeah, so that that was a part of it. Um, but then at the same time, like you said, the true crux of it was me saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer for the problems that we see in the world because he's been the answer for me. And so that's what I do throughout the book is detail. How did God take this young kid who struggled immensely with fear and anxiety and self insecurity and, and, and grow him into somebody who'd be willing to stand alone for something that he believes in? And it truly is a, a testament to the reality of a relationship with Christ. I think it's a big encouragement for a lot of people. Now, you're very well spoken. Were you a, a good student in school? I would say I, I was an okay student. I really liked, I liked science. I liked math. I liked things that, that were about like retention, you know, like learning, you know, memorizing how to do the problem, mem memorizing the, you know, the, all the scientific facts and all that stuff. I enjoyed that. I wasn't much of a writer, which is interesting. Um, reader. And that was mainly because of just fear of just like always being afraid of somebody critiquing my writing or not wanting to write in front of other people. Um, and now to actually have written a book and really have found a love 
for the creativity of words, you know, in, inside of me that I would never thought w w was there. Um, but, you know, I, in writing the book, I went back and spoke to a couple of my English teachers and they were like, we loved your writing. We, you know, we always, we always thought you wrote so well. We wanted to encourage you to write more. And I was like, man, I, I never would have thought that. And so it's, it's pretty surreal. Uh, that's great. Well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back in a minute with Jonathan Isaac to talk more about his book, Why I Stand. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with uh, Jonathan Isaac. He has a new book called Why I Stand. And uh, a question for you, Jonathan. When did real faith come to you? You know, I grew up like you did in a Christian home. And, you know, I could say all the standard Bible verses and stuff like that. But for me, God didn't really become real to me until I was a teenager. And I almost stabbed someone. And uh, they had a belt buckle on and a knife blade struck that and broke. But my life would have been very different had it not been for that. And, you know, I came to understand that my angry outbursts were about me because I was selfish. It was always about me, my, and I. And if I could step outside of the circle, I wouldn't be angry anymore. And, and God brought that to me, and it changed my life completely. When did that change for you come? Well, it, it changed for me was when... God had it, and I talk about it all throughout the book. It really is a really crazy story. So to go through it all is difficult. Um, but um, when I got drafted to the NBA, um, I was living my life. I was doing my thing. I, I was having fun doing it. Um, I had, like you, I grew up in a Christian household, but it, it was just traditional for me. It wasn't something that was tangible or real, or I didn't have an in-depth understanding of who God was or that he wanted to have a relationship with me for my betterment. It wasn't just about taking away my fun and not letting me do what all the other kids were doing. It was because he had a plan and purpose for my life. And if I could align myself with him, um, then I would truly get what I truly want. And so uh, that was brought to me through uh, meeting a pastor who is my pastor today. Um, and I detail the story of us, you know, coming together and meeting in my book. His name is Dr. Hepburn. Um, 
I met him on an elevator and I didn't know he was a pastor and he didn't know I was in the NBA. Um, he said to me on the elevator, I can tell you how to be great. Now, this is at, this is while I'm dealing with all the things that I'm dealing with behind the scenes. I'm still struggling with fear and anxiety, even though I'm an, I'm an NBA basketball player. I talk about that a lot in the book. I was um, I was on anxiety medication while I was at Florida State. I was the number one player in the state of Florida, Florida on anxiety medication and nobody knew. But, you know, one coach, one trainer, my family didn't know, my friends didn't know. Um, but all because I'm struggling with this this idea that I have to live up to being the big man on campus and lead this team to to greatness. Um, and so uh, I meet this guy on the elevator and he says to me, I can tell you how to be great. And I say, how? And he says, you have to know Jesus. And I'm like, man, well, I know Jesus. And oh, me, me and Jesus are tight. You know what I'm saying? That every, everybody's a Christian today. Um, but I, I, I didn't know Christ in a way that was tangible. And God had completely flipped my life upside down after that, after, after that conversation where he really did just align the pieces and coincidences where I'm saying, oh, my gosh, God is real. And I began to be discipled by this pastor, Dr. Deron Hepburn. He started to teach me about the love of God and who God is. And um, I always tell all the young people that I talk to today, I say, look, um, God wasn't trying to take something away from me. And that's what everybody thinks. God doesn't want you to have fun. God wants to, you know, make you, uh, you know, square. Um, but God was truly trying to get something to me. And, and as I began to walk down that road, I, my eyes are so open to it now that, you know, writing a book, being married, about to have a daughter on the way would have never been in my plans um, had God not got control of my life. Um, and now that I see that today, I'm like, man, I wish I did it sooner. Um, and so now I have a tangible, real, you know, daily relationship with Christ that I didn't know really existed. Um, so, yeah. I suspect uh, your fellow NBA players are probably not all that anxious to hear about God. <laughs> is, is, is it true that there's a lot of uh, avarice, greed, selfishness in professional sports? I, I would say yes. And I would say not not from the standpoint on, you know, picking on anybody is if you have humans anywhere who have the degree of access to excess that we professional players have, the money, the status, the fame, you're going to find all of these things that, that come a part of, you know, our, our human nature. And you see them, you know, more enhanced on a level of when you're able to do what you want to do, get what you want to get and go where you want to go. And so uh, it, it, it is a tough place to try to be, you know, try, try to walk with Christ, but it is possible. Um, and so I, I continue to just want to be that light and, and, and show that you can, you know, have a relationship with God and be and be famous and, uh, you know, and have wealth and, 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 and all that. Have have some other NBA players reached out to you in a supportive way? Oh, yeah, a absolutely. Like from the time that I stood and then leading on to the vaccine, I've had countless conversations with guys who, you know, have said, you know, they agree with me, you know, Christ Christian players that, you know, I agree with what you did. Um, it was just really tough for me. And, I, you know, I ended up deciding to kneel, um, you know, even from other sports, soccer players, football players that I've had conversations with. Um, and then when it comes to the vaccine, I've had, you know, teammates say, man, if they if they try to do that again, I'm doing what you did. I'm not taking it. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh I'm going to ask you a little bit about the COVID uh, situation. Yeah. You you had COVID already, right? I mean, you 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 had you were infected. Right. So once I so you had antibodies. Exactly. So so once so so my my placement when it comes to the vaccine, I'm not necessarily from the camp that thinks the vaccine uh you know is like nanobodies that are that are going to kill you from the inside and the government is uh <laughs> you know trying to track you. I wasn't really from that camp. 
I was from the camp that, look, it, it's a vaccine and vaccines have a job. Um, and I think that it should be everyone's free decision choice to get this vaccine or not, especially once you look at the nature of COVID, um, its survival rate, you know, the fact that, you know, people had been infected with it already and have antibodies. I think when you look at the entire overcast of COVID, it should be the easy answer to say, okay, this should be everyone's choice to, 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 to take this vaccine or not. Um, I can understand if it was, you know, measles or like, you know, just, just something that's obviously a, a lot worse. Um, and then you throw in children and all that stuff. So I, I just thought from the jump, it, it, it should have been something that should have been, you know, people's individual choice. And then especially when I looked at myself and said, look, I'm young, I'm healthy. I had COVID already. I don't see the wisdom in putting something into my body where I could have an adverse reaction. Not, not saying that I, I would, but I could have, and then still catch the virus afterwards anyway, like so many people did even after they got the vaccine. And so that, yeah. that was pretty much where I was coming from. Well, basically, uh, you were following the science. We've known for hundreds of years about uh, antibody formation after contact with an antigen, mm. and that it is an extremely effective method of preventing further infection. And uh, you were just following that science. But uh, it's kind of interesting uh, how cancel culture has grown significantly around the COVID issue, uh, particularly in medical field. And a lot of doctors and nurses lost their positions uh, because of the exact same thing that you just spoke of. Uh, they had had it already. They knew the impact of antibodies and how that was protective, and they didn't feel a need to take something else that might, in fact, uh, interfere with their immune system. And, uh, you know, you can sort of spread that to almost anything these days. Anything that they don't want you to talk uh, it becomes immediately taboo. And if you talk about it or you act on it, you get canceled. And... Uh, that is actually a very dangerous trend, and it kind of uh, is what precedes totalitarianism. And it's something that I think we all need to, to be aware of and stop being afraid and be willing to stand up. So the way that you have been able to stand up is a tremendous example, I think, for a lot of people. And you cannot be the, the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. For me, it, it just, they, they've made it so difficult to have conversations to where if, if you hold a certain viewpoint, you're automatically lumped into this tribe of, you know, racist, xenophobic, all, all, all these different terms that they, you know, that, that they have. If you even walk the line of holding a different view where now it's like, we don't have to hear you out. We don't have to have a conversation with you. You're, you're a COVID, you know, you're a vaccine, you're anti-vaxxer, COVID denier. Um, there's no need to have a conversation with you where what I've been trying to do is give people the courage to just say how they feel. And so when it came to the Black Lives Matter movement, when it came to the vaccine, I just said what I believed and what I thought was on my mind. And I put it out there and allowed people to engage with it in the way that they wanted to. Yes, there were the group that said, you know, he's an anti-vaxxer, don't listen to him. But there were so many people who said, this kid makes sense. Um, and I agree with him. And so, and that gave them courage to go ahead and say what they feel as well. Same thing with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that if we can just somehow 
get back to having meaningful conversations that were a part of getting us to where we are right now with, you know, within the white and black community, within all the things that we have going on right now, then we could really see, you know, progress. Yeah, that's so important. And, you know, do you think a lot of the people that you were having discussions with regarding Black Lives Matter actually knew what they stood for, actually went to their website, uh, saw their Marxist orientation, uh, knew about their thoughts about fatherhood and families. And I, I wonder if they actually were aware of those things or were they just going on the basis of the name Black Lives Matter, which sounds good. And I think we all would agree that they do matter. But, uh, you know, when you look underneath and you see some of the other stuff, maybe not. Right. And, and even to the point of, you know, some of the things that we've seen come out, you know, later, later on and, and around these times about the way that they, you know, managed money and handled it. At the end of the day, we are all human and then put in the position to have all of that money coming to you, all of that power for the moment. And they they didn't handle it correctly. Um, and so that to me, again, reinforced my own understanding of putting the, the responsibility and the trust in people in an organization to truly help or truly change things. And it wasn't truly going to be the answer for the heartfelt problem that is racism and a lot of the other things that we see. So I, I think that there were a ton of people who kind of just went off of, you know, Black Lives Matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter. And anybody who has anything to say against the phrase Black Lives Matter has to be racist. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, you're very kind and gracious. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be right back with our kind and gracious guests in a moment. <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, and we're back common sense. And uh, we have as our guest today, uh, Jonathan Isaac, an author of a best-selling book, Why I Stand Forward for the Orlando Magic. Uh, a tremendous uh, community activist. You've been involved in so many programs to help youngsters, to help hungry people, uh, to, to help all kinds of people. Where did that come from? Honestly, that, that really comes from our church. Um, so Jump Ministries Global Church that I go to here in Orlando, um, you know, when I first got plugged in with them and started going there, and again, the pastor that I talked about, Dr. Deron Hepburn, is the lead bishop there. Um, 
they were they were already into the community. And so me being able to bring, you know, the, the resources that I have has been able to kind of explode it and take it to the next level. And so, you know, they feed people, they they house people all around the city, you know, men's houses and women's houses. And they just opened up something called Jump In, which is a, a men's homeless facility um, that I've spent time at. And, and, you know, they continue to grow it out and just have place for homeless men to stay and to eat and to, you know, get new clothes. And it's all surrounded around them coming to the services and watching church. Um, and so it, it really is just something that's great. And I've just tried my best to plug in and just continue to, to just try to be a blessing. Well, it's, it's refreshing to see a young man, 25 years old, when other NBA players are trying to say, can I get a Bentley? Can I do this? And you're out there trying to help people. It's, uh, it's very refreshing and encouraging to see that. Now, uh, you talk in your book about the first time you preached. What was, what was that like? How, how'd that come about? <laughs> so the, the first time I preached, uh, again, the probably the most terrifying thing that I've done um, and if you had known me, you know, from me being in high school, being in college, you would have never in a million years thought that I would, you know, stand behind the pulpit. I actually had a had a, a moment of passing out talking to kids uh, <laughs> while I was at Florida State of just being so uh, nervous about it. And so, uh, you know, again, you know, just complete respect and honor to my pastor, who was that, that person that said, you need you know, you've been growing, you've been coming to the church for a while. You know, people have heard it a million times from me, but they should hear it from you and what God has done in your life. And I think that you can handle it and on that level. And then he said something to me, I think you should also invite your teammates. And I was like, you're crazy. There's no way in a million. <laughs> I was out drinking with these guys a few months ago. What do you mean? I'm going to go to them and tell them that I'm going to be <laughs> preaching. Um, but he said to me, he said, only give me your answer after you really pray about it. And so I went and I prayed about it. And of course, you know, I should do it. And so I did end up speaking. I did invite my teammates. Um, and, you know, all in all, it, it, it went well. I was I was I was happy um, that I had, you know, faced that fear and overcome that hurdle. And again, that was when I talk about all these little moments that led up to being able to stand in the bubble. That was definitely one of them. Uh, how do you think your return to faith uh, prepared you for that moment when you decided to stand? Well, it, it was everything because I, I was, you, you said it early on that, you know, it's about the audience of one. And when you, when you truly have your trust in God, nothing else matters. And that's what, that's really what it came down to be. It's like, God, I feel like this is something that you're calling me to do. I know that people aren't going to agree with it, but, um, my conviction is to do what you want me to do. And I'm putting all my trust in you. And, and, and that's what faith is. And I, I've seen God come through time and time again with the book, with, with people talking about how much it has encouraged and inspired them. I'm like, man, I can, I can understand why doing what I did was necessary, um, not just for the book, but for people to understand where I was coming from. And I believe, you know, in, in my heart that it's where God was coming from as well, that look, we've, we've all fall, fallen short of God's glory. Everyone has done things that are wrong. And, and if we're going to, like I said before, if we're going to throw stones, we're going to be throwing stones from a glass house. And if we could, if we could make a choice, a decision, a conscious decision to love each other the way that God loves us, which is in spite of our sin, in spite of our shortcomings, then we could have real progress. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it was just about God. I trust you. I, I, I want this to be, you know, what, what you want it to be your way. And I'm just kind of releasing it to you. Like I said, the contract wasn't signed yet. It was coming up in the summer. Um, you know, I knew that I was going to be called names. I knew what it was going to be, but you know, I decided to do it anyway. What advice do you have for people who 
are not courageous. <laughs> uh, the, the advice, um, and I, and this is so interesting for me to say because it's like I, I'm not coming from a place that's like I'm I'm this courageous person. It's still a, a battle for me every day, and I have to continue to put my trust and my identity and find my courage in Christ because without Christ, I'm not a courageous person. <laughs> having that you know his safety net to fall back on i'm not a courageous person at all um but the advice that i would give is that courage is not the absence of fear and that's what so many people believe that if i if i feel any fear then i'm not courageous when that's not the truth every single decision that i've made when it came to the vaccine when it came to standing in the bubble i was terrified (laughs) extremely terrified about what could happen or what would happen but i did it because i trusted god and i trusted that the and, and and to the point it's like you only know God to be trustworthy when you trust him. And so if if God is this trustworthy God, the only way that you know him to be trustworthy is if you give him something to trust him in. And so I've learned that God is a trustworthy God. I've learned that I can put my trust in Christ and not fail because I did it. And so um I would just reiterate to people that you don't have to be fearless um to be courageous. You feel the fear, but you look to Christ. You don't look at the fear. You look to um, who is the author and finisher of your faith. And at the end of the day, if you're standing for him, um, he's going to stand for you. And whether it, it works out in the natural or not, you have a spiritual home and a spiritual blessing with Christ in heaven. Well, I can certainly identify strongly with that because that was what characterized my career uh, as a neurosurgeon. Uh, a lot of people said that I was a hot dog uh, because I would do things that nobody else would do. But it wasn't that at all. <laughs> it was that I would ask God to guide me, to tell me what to do, to show me what to do, when to do it, when not to do it. And uh, over the course of time, uh, he never failed me as I became very confident in what he could do. And, you know, I would just recommend to people, you know, stop for a moment And just look around you and look at your life and look at some of the things that have happened, not just bad things, but good things. Uh, Maybe there's a reason for that. And maybe there are some amazing things that you could do, particularly when you take the focus off of self. That is really the key to becoming a very successful person. Just stop looking at yourself all the time, me, my, and I and look at opportunities that you have to positively impact the environment and impact other people's lives and what an incredible difference it will make particularly in terms of your happiness you know happiness i can tell you uh having grown up in dire poverty and you know now you know being at a point where i don't have to worry about anything i can buy anything i want but the fact of the matter is, I don't want a lot of stuff anymore. <laughs> I want to have a relationship with God. You know, when you can buy what you want, what you want changes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really that relationship that makes all the difference. And I just want to ask you uh, any parting thoughts for our audience? Uh, I, I would just say that, and and, you know, this is this is not me trying to big up the book in any way. I, I truly do feel that 
um, my journey and the journey that I've been on can truly be a light to young adults, to, 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 to old adults, to people of all different ages and spectrums. And uh, I would encourage everybody to go out and check it out. Um, read it, read the reviews, read what people are saying and, and give the book a chance. Amen. Well, I want to just thank you not only for being on the program, but for being an incredible example, uh, particularly for young people. I hope a lot of people will be inspired by what you've said here today. I encourage everybody to go out and get this book and read it. It will, it will thrill your soul. It will encourage you. I don't care what age you are. And, uh, Thank you for being with us, and we'll be praying for your speedy recovery. Yes, sir. Thanks so much, Dr. Ben Carson. Okay. Appreciate it. And we'll be right back with my closing thoughts and common sense prescription for you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. you all enjoyed that uh, time with a phenomenal young man, uh, Jonathan Isaac, both on the basketball court and especially off the basketball court. It's evident that God is using him, and we wish him uh, continued faith and courage as he continues to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see him back on the court. He's a tremendous uh, joy to watch that kind of talent. And uh, get that book and uh, make sure you know why you stand and where you stand. And now for a common sense prescription. You know, throughout our nation's history, we've seen a lot of our citizens be put into very difficult positions where they have to f choose between what's right and what's wrong, where they have to go with their belief systems or abandon them so that they can be loved, and so that they can have peace in their lives. I think about people like Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. They had difficult decisions to make. They could have taken the easy way out. In the case of Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King, they gave their lives. Think about that. But think about the tremendous good that they did for our nation and for other people. Now, I'm not asking you to go out there and give your life necessarily, but I am asking you to 
think carefully about those things that you can do. Think about what's right and what's wrong as opposed to what everybody else is doing. And try at some point during this week to consciously make a decision that you know is right that may not make you popular. See if you have the courage to do that. Because once you start doing it, it becomes a lot easier to continue to do it. Now, our guest today is a celebrity, and uh, that brought his story to light. A lot of us know people like him, or maybe are people like him, but are not celebrities, and our stories are not likely to come to light, but they're just as important. And I'd like you to, if you know of those stories, send them to us. Ben at Cornerstone at AmericanCornerstone.org. We may read some of those stories on one of our future broadcasts. And that's it for this week. Please subscribe for free. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you don't miss any. Review us. Tell your friends and neighbors and everybody you know, because we need to spread common sense in our country. And until next week, remember the cornerstone principles, faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week.